sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Religion and politics are two subjects that uh, we think about not discussing in polite society. What about Jesus and politics? Well, there was a conference late last year at Andrews University entitled Jesus and Politics. And here to talk about it, one of the organizers of that conference, Nicholas Miller, my friend and colleague, professor of church history there, and director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Nick. Thank you, Alan. It's always good to be with you. So, Jesus and politics? I thought Jesus stayed out of politics. Well, you know, that's what many Christians commonly think these days. But in approaching this question at the conference, we make clear that we were using the word politics um, in its broader meaning as the Greeks used to do it. You know, politics comes from the word polis which is literally public space, the community. And um, Christ clearly did not keep his teachings private, but he frequently taught out in public, and he dealt with issues that impacted the community. He dealt with racial prejudices in healing uh, the Samaritans and uh, uh, telling the story of the Good Samaritan, um, in interacting with the centurion, in dealing with um, outsiders and with Greeks. All of these actions involve the public space and how people should relate to each other in society. Fair enough, and I can certainly see that. I just wrote a short piece requested of me on the Samaritan woman at the well, recorded in John chapter 5. And of course, it was uh, pretty outrageous for Jesus to be talking alone with a woman and the Samaritan at that. That's right. So that's a classic story of how Christ put himself at the intersection of gender, race, class in his mm-hmm. own societies in ways which risk causing a scandal. And yet he was willing to do it, to rock the boat, if you will, in a very public way, because he knew that the gospel and spiritual messages impacted these items in our larger world. Also, well, listen, as we're here recording today, and I know it's a couple of months after the conference, but we're on the heels first of a widely circulated Christianity Today editorial that supported impeachment of Donald Trump and rejected kind of the Christian support. And then more recently, a rally that the president held in a Florida megachurch inaugurating a movement of evangelicals for Trump. So I guess the whole issue of Jesus and politics has really become front and center in our American political life. Is that why you had this conference? Well, certainly, yes. I think it was uh, a part of the trigger for that. The, the conference that, uh, or the church where President Trump had his meeting with the evangelicals I believe it was there that he famously said he believes that God is on our side. And our side, I think, not just being humanity or even America, but uh, the evangelical Republican coalition. 
because he specifically pointed out Democratic candidates, Peter Buttigieg, who he said he didn't think was a real Christian, and certainly saying that God wasn't on his side. So, yes, this has become a very real question. Political leaders are invoking the name of God, and even of that of Christ. And so as Christians, we felt that it was important that we went back to the actual life and teachings of Christ to see in what way and how Christ involved or approached the public issues of his day. Now, before we go further, I gather that there are materials from this conference available on the Internet. Why don't you direct our listeners where they can find out more of this fantastic information? Yes, yeah, so we used to produce books from conferences, but these days everyone's going to the Internet. So what we did is we videotaped all the presentations of the conference, not just the plenary presentations, but also the breakout sessions. And we have all of those archived at uh, JesusAndPoliticsToday.org, just like it sounds, JesusAndPoliticsToday.org. And there you can go and watch. Uh, we have on the main page the seven or so plenary sessions, and then also available beneath that are um, the breakout sessions, where we've got panel discussions, three or four panelists discussing a wide range of issues from legislation and lobbying to immigration issues to um, race and racism, LGBT versus religious freedom, the whole gamut of questions that we're being faced with today. It sounds like you're finding that a Christian worldview impacts our thinking about many, many different issues. Well, yes, and uh, probably one of the main stories was highlighted in a number of presentations. Um, Dr. Jim Wallace, the founder and president uh, of Sojourners Magazine, uh, comes from the Plymouth Brethren Church, a, um, a church really part of the Radical Reformation, which is also the roots of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, along with Ron Sider, who's a Mennonite theologian. And um, both of them touched on the topic of the cleansing of the temple, Jesus cleansing the temple. And we often think of that in terms of, well, Jesus was taking care of the business of the church. But if you remember, it had to do with economics as well. And it had to do with politics, because the priests were very much chosen by and, and league with the political leaders of the day. So in cleansing the temple, Christ was involving himself overtly and symbolically, and if you will, intrusively, at the very heart of public life in the Jewish nation, and in the most dramatic way, which I don't think most Christians have fully processed. How do we put the theology of Christ cleansing the temple into our framework of social action? It's a hard thing to think about, even. Well, it is. And, you know, I mean, quite simply, I think for many, many Christians, when we think about how does our faith impact our politics, we think about issues like abortion, you know, right to life. We think about um, sexuality uh, and the whole LGBT movement. But I don't know that we go much deeper than that. I don't know for most Christians if they look at issues, you mentioned immigration as an issue that was covered, or race, or some of these other issues. What are some of the issues that you think that it's not so much a leave these alone, but what are some of the issues that were discussed at the conference that you think Christians aren't generally paying enough attention to? 
Well, I think the the passage that I found most challenging in some ways was when uh, uh, Dr. Wallace talked about Matthew 25. What is the basis of the judgment? We, of course, know that people are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but that faith and that grace will produce certain works. And Christ is so certain about that that in his final judgment, he can divide the sheep from the goats based on whether how we've related to the outcasts, to the outsiders, to the weak, to the sick, to those in prison, right? I was hungry, you gave me no food, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was in prison, and it is the marginalized of the community, the migrants, the immigrants, the prisoners, the he makes a very compelling case that, yes, there are issues of morality we need to be concerned with, as you pointed out, but at the acid core of, of the test of true Christianity is how we've helped the least of these, the marginal and the outsiders. And that was a, a very pressing issue brought before the conference, and, and I think it really was well made. You know, I have to say here, Nick, as you know, I wear uh, various hats in addition to doing this uh, radio show. Of course, I have an active legal practice representing workers in particular fired because of their faith, but also preacher's hat. And this passage that you mentioned, Matthew 25, is a passage the Lord will not let me let go of. Uh Uh, I have felt like I have had to preach it now for several years. And typically, you know, you like to mix it up. You can only preach a certain thing for so long, and then you got to move on to something else. But I can't seem to shake the need to reemphasize this. Well, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, and I hadn't paid close attention to it until Dr. Wallace pointed it out. We often think of this as an individual mandate. You know, have I visited my sick neighbor or helped my friend or personally supported outsiders? But he points out that actually in verse 32 of Matthew 25, that it's not just talking about individuals, it's talking about nations. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one from another. And there's a theme throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament that not only are individuals judged, but nations are judged. And we are, as citizens of a nation, I think that it's fair to say that we are judged on how we either support or oppose policies that hurt or help poor people. That is part of our Christian civil obligation that Christ is interested in as part of the gospel, right? Not just a personal mandate, but how do I use my influence in the larger public civil community in setting public policy in a way that is going to be protective of those who are hurting and marginalized? So right here, I want to observe, you know, I come from a Jewish background, and as I have explored the Jewish roots of the Christian New Testament, I have come to understand just how Western the church has become. And especially within Protestantism, our whole emphasis has been so much on a personal relationship with Christ through faith. And of course, that is central. It is essential. But we often miss the communal aspects of religion as presented in Scripture. And I think, you know, this is what you're touching on. Uh, we not only have individual obligations, but we have obligations as part of the community. 
the Bible speaks of the body of Christ. Uh, but we're very Western in our individualistic assumptions, and the East was far more focused on the community. Well, and that's well illustrated with your Jewish background. You're very familiar with the word shalom, right? Shalom, we translate it as peace. But the Mennonite community understands, along with the Jewish community, that really, in our Western minds, peace can just be the absence of conflict, right? If we're not fighting with each other and at each other's throats, so I can peaceably stay in my house and not bother my neighbor. But shalom is a richer concept. It's living well together, right? Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of mutual support and fellowship and goodwill. And I think what you're pointing out is that in the West, we've fallen into this notion of just staying out of my neighbor's business and way and he out of mine, whereas we ought to be striving for this positive aspect of shalom and well-being and mutual support and care in our communities. Um, this is something we need to recover. Wow, that is a wonderful thought that I hope all listeners can embrace and uh, maybe a good place for us to wrap it up now. The, uh, the resources, again, for the conference are found where? JesusInPoliticsToday.org Our guest today, Nicholas Miller, professor of church history at Andrews University. We've been talking about fantastic conference held recently on Jesus and Politics. As always, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Reign, Nick. Thanks, Ellen. Good to be with you. And as we close, remember, folks, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rana. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom ring.